You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings. Today I've got a return guest. I've got Phil Bergeli, the Ducks Unlimited Magazine shotgunning columnist, joining me once again. Phil, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for having me. You know, Phil and I have gone back and forth and and discussed offline and even on the DU podcast, um, you know, just some different things that we can talk about. And I think today's show, uh, you know, we're really going to get into what we had discussed earlier on the podcast where... Um, you know, Phil kind of made a transition into a 20 gauge. And for those of you who've listened to our past shows, you know, we'll know that Phil is one, a big fan of the 12 gauge, also a big fan of the 10 gauge for geese, but he did a little kind of, uh, dabbling in the 20 gauge realm this season. Um, so Phil, how did that work out for you as far as, you know, your goose season and duck season up there in Iowa? It worked pretty well. Uh, I would say right out front, the sample size was extremely small this year. My duck season was not good. Uh, goose season was pretty good, but, uh, I shot a uh, couple different guns. I shot one of those CZ over unders, those all terrain guns and, uh, mm-hmm. one of those M2, uh, Rob Roberts, M2 waterfowl performance shop guns. Um, mostly I shot bismuth shot, I shot bismuth threes, which to me is a good, all around size for, you know, if you don't know if there's going to be ducks or geese in the decoys. Um, and I tend to like bigger shot anyway. And that's about as big as Bismuth shot gets. And it worked very well. Now I'm, uh, because I don't hunt with retrievers, I'm a very conservative shot. So pretty much everything I shot was, was in the decoys, but I didn't have any trouble 
killing birds with it. And I, it, it was enjoyable. Um, that said, when it got to the end of goose season, I chickened out and I had one not very good hunt with the 20 gauge with geese. I didn't, didn't lose any birds, but not, nothing got away from me, but it wasn't pretty. And, um, so then I put that up and then I got my 12 gauge out. <laughs> when you say it wasn't pretty as far as I was chasing birds around and, you know, that one of those kind of hunts, uh, where things did not hit the ground as, uh, dead as they should be. Yeah, that happens. And I, I, I do know that, you know, one thing that I've, I've kind of learned hunting with the 20 gauge off and on is, you know, we, especially like you, you know, you're typically probably hunting in a layout blind. Mm -hmm. Um, those smaller little compact guns do provide a little bit of benefit there. Um, when you're in the layout blinds, did you notice any of that? They're fun to carry and fun to shoot. Um, I think I was talking to a friend of mine who was a very serious waterfowler and sporting clay shooter. And we were kind of agreeing that what you give up with the 20 gauge is almost not as much the ballistics as if you're taking longer shots, you know, a bigger, heavier gun is just easier to shoot. Uh, if you wanted to, uh, a gun for just pointing and shooting over decoys, the 20 gauge is great. Uh, if you want to take, if you're pass shooting, if you're backing people up, whatever, you need a gun that's got the, the heft and the discipline to swing on those longer shots. I think that's when a 12 gauge really is a better gun. And you mentioned, uh, you know, before we came on, you mentioned that your duck and goose seasons were not exactly ideal, um, but you did finish on a pretty strong note. Do you want to share that story? Because I know that's uh, that's pretty cool. I did, everybody's season should end the way mine did. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, we had a lot of snow this year at the end of uh, end of December and, and our goose season ran in mid-January. So I was hauling decoys and blinds on a sled through some pretty deep snow. So it was a chore and I had the last two days of the season. The first day I had to, I had to haul my stuff about a half mile to get up to this hilltop where I was able to shoot my birds, but there weren't a lot. And I could see from where I was, where the birds were going. And the X field was about you know, three quarters of a mile away. And, and so I got in there the next day and there was sign everywhere. There's tracks and, and holes in the snow where the geese had been digging for, the corn up and, uh, and there were no geese. They just, I don't know. They went somewhere else that day. I, I, <laughs> I, you know, I couldn't believe it. It was a really goosey day. It's the kind of day you think about in the off season. It was cold, but not too cold. It was windy. It was spitting sleet. It was gray. It was you know, what I think of as just a perfect goose hunting day. And it had everything but geese. You know, I sat there in the blind for a few hours and kind of resigning myself to ending the season by just staring at empty skies, which, which is okay because you, you have to go on the last day regardless, no matter what happens. It was, uh, that's a very important to me to, to see the season out. And, uh, you know, I just finished my snack and I guess geese get hungry the same time I, I do because I looked up and here came a flock. It was the only bunch of the day and, uh, they were down low over the corn stubble. And the, the clouds behind me even broke up a little bit. So they were lit up when they came in, which was, which was great. And, uh, about 30 yards from the blind, they started to backpedal and I sat up and I shot two and there was another one. And I thought, should I, do I want to be done? But yes, I do. And I shot that one and that's the one that was banded. So uh, it was pretty spectacular. And it was about as big a thrill to me as, as, you know, those three birds in the band is about, it was like shooting a turkey. It was that exciting for me that 
to go up and pick those birds up. Yeah, I hope uh, I, I would, could only imagine that uh, everyone could finish their season like that. Yeah, you it's, know, it's the best. I've been giddy ever since. It's just thinking back about it. You know, I don't mind that it's not hunting season anymore. I can just think about that. That's the one that you'll be sitting there in July mm-hmm. and thinking, oh, man, you know, that that's enough to get you through the off season. That's uh, that's pretty spectacular. Well, thank you. I, I would say I, I highly recommend it to everyone. Where was the bird banded? In town, locally. Uh, oh, okay, it's local. Yeah, no, it was. I the bands we shoot here, almost everyone is banded right here locally. I've got one from Rochester, Minnesota, and everything else is is local. And almost all of them are those uh, too young to fly when banded, which always makes me feel bad. But you know, doesn't stop me from going again. That's that's fantastic. That is a the perfect way to end the it was, season. It, I really, it was wonderful. The main reason why, you know, I got you on here to uh, to talk is just in the recent issue of the magazine that just came out, you know, you wrote a column and it was called The Physics of Shotgunning. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of stuck with me because the way that you um, broke down the the real physics of shotgunning, not necessarily. I mean, it is ballistics. It is what it is, but it's not necessarily in that that term um you didn't phrase it that way and phrase it much more so that a layman can understand exactly what you're talking about in, in as far as velocity and air resistance uh recoil and and i'd like to just kind of walk through that and and maybe put that into some real life um uh, situations that that you can kind of explain but but first you know kind of explain where this idea came from you know this is something it's a little bit outside the box here and and I, it's just it's just a cool column that i hope people have really really enjoyed um but where did the idea come from i i'd like to take credit for it but actually it was du editor matt young <laughs> now matt may very well have been thinking of bob brister's shotgunning the art and science which i hope people still read that book because that is yeah. absolutely the best book written, uh, very accessible, but it, it lays out a lot of these ideas about what is actually going on inside a shotgun and, and in the air once, once pellets, uh, you know, meet air resistance and, and travel toward the target. Uh, that, that's a book that's really helped me understand a lot more about shotguns and, and shotgun shells. It's, it dates 1976. Uh, he does, it, it, that was the very earliest days of steel shot. There wasn't a nationwide mandate yet, but there was steel. And so he does talk about that. But uh, so a lot of the stuff about, at least from a waterfowling perspective, a lot of the stuff about lead shot is, is outdated, but uh, it's still a fascinating read. Absolutely. And every shotgunner should have that book and read it. My copy is about worn out. Uh, had it forever. And, uh, and I think that's probably, I'm going to guess that's what Matt was thinking of when he signed this column. Uh, because it is, uh, it's really one of the most important books about shotgun shooting ever written. Yeah. Our audience should take note of that and, uh, be sure to, you know, get a copy of that. And, and, you know, it really does kind of explain the approach that you took here. Um, and the first thing that, that you really, do here is you quote Einstein in the piece, you know, obviously with physics and, um, you know, it makes a, a really great initial introduction and, and it's nothing happens until something moves. Um, can you kind of play on that as how you, you know, really chose, you know, that quote from Einstein um, to introduce this column? 
shot moving down the barrel is, you know, that's, that's where it all begins for us. Uh, you pull the trigger and, and there's chemical reactions and the heat energy and all of these things that lead to gases expanding and a, a shot load being pushed down the barrel. And that's, that's when all everything starts. You know, up, up to then, it's all just potential energy. It's just sitting there on the gun. Just just waiting on your trigger finger, right? Right, exactly. And in the first part of the column, um, you discuss recoil. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about that kind of many times, really, um, how to balance recoil either, um, you know, to get the recoil limited, you know, how important recoil is, especially even for a second shot. Um but in in the column, you you start right out with a three and a half inch shell shooting from a a light shotgun. Um, kind of explain this whole reaction and this process that um, you know all of recoil is generated here, and and how people can understand recoil and and control it to an to an to an a sense, I guess I should say. You know, recoil and kick are two different things. Recoil is math. Recoil is gun weight. It's velocity. And it's uh, the weight of the ejecta, the payload, which is, which is the shot, the wad, and the powder. Uh, and there's a formula, which is, uh, and that's that's all that recoil. It's that's an absolute number. The, the best way to reduce recoil, if you want to reduce recoil, you want to reduce, you can increase gun weight. But the more efficient way to do it is to decrease velocity or decrease payload, because those, when you increase or decrease them, that's an exponential, whereas the weight is is not. So it really makes a bit extra eighth of an ounce of shot or that extra couple hundred feet per second of velocity. That's what really increases recoil. Now, the other half of recoil, I'll say, is, is not so much physics. It's more ergonomics, I guess, is, is felt recoil. And that, uh, you know, the best explanation I ever, I'm going to steal this one from, from my friend Bruce Buck. He said, you want to understand felt recoil, shoot a gun from your shoulder, then put it on your forehead and pull the trigger again. Yeah, which one kicks harder? And that's felt recoil. Uh, you know, obviously, if you've got the gun on your shoulder, you're going to feel a certain amount of recoil. If you put the gun up against your forehead and pull the trigger, like I'm sure you've seen people do on YouTube probably, uh, that kicks a lot harder. And that's, that is felt recoil. And that is a function of recoil pads. It's a function of a gas operated gun to an extent. Uh, this extension function of gun fit, how much clothing you're wearing, all those things, how you hold the gun, that all is, is felt recoil, which is kind of outside the realm of physics. Uh, the, the physics part of it is, is purely the gun weight, the payload velocity and the payload weight. So if people are looking to re, to reduce that recoil, um, you know, the main recommendation there is gun weight and Velocity as far as just a little bit less powder or shot in the in the shell. So you're decreasing your feet per second, you know, um, or increasing one way or the other. You know, you can always increase to if you if you're comfortable with the actual recoil of the gun. Um, but kind of explain that. And I think that's a good way to explain the felt recoil as far as, you know, moving the the uh, the gun to a different position. But I think a good example of that for me immediately just kind of comes into my head is when you don't get the gun 
into your shoulder correctly or maybe a little bit low um, that felt recoil changes like oh man that one actually hurt you know I'm, I'm not used to getting that recoil and having you know noticing it but if you don't get that gun uh, positioned properly that's that's another good example for people to use as far as felt recoil and not necessarily the mathematical equation that you're referring to um, in this so I usually don't notice a shell kicking unless I've made a bad shot or a shot that I wasn't really focused on. If I am focused, you know, I did not feel the gun go off when I shot those three geese. Mm. Uh, and I shoot a fairly, I shoot a fairly lightweight Benelli Montefeltro, which is a, not really a duck gun, but it's what I like to shoot. And um, there wasn't, I wasn't shooting super heavy loads, but loads I should have felt going off in the gun, but you're, you're focused on the target. You don't feel it at all in that excitement that of the moment. But then when I make a bad shot, that's when I usually feel the kick, you know, because I'm just not, not fully engaged in the shot. So it's even, there's even a sort of a mental part of it, I guess, in addition oh, yeah. to the ergonomic part of it in terms of felt recoil. The, the next subject that you, you kind of get into um, is air resistance and velocity. Mm -hmm. And I think this section of the column um, is one that I, I found most interesting because I, I, one thing that I, I do know is that there's a lot of duck hunters out there who really don't pay attention um, to their ammo as much as they should. And I think that you really outline in detail um, how these higher velocity loads or lower velocity loads changes um basically everything that you do. And that's why it's easy, I guess, that we can drift off into, you know, felt recoil. We can start talking because it all starts here. Um, kind of explain how you, you know, get into the details of this air resistance and velocity. One of the things I did not talk about that I think I need to visit in a future column, kind of a misconception, I think, that underlies a lot of people's beliefs or understanding of shotgunning is that we're all taught that a choke works like tightening down the nozzle on a hose, which is true. It, it more or less does. But with that analogy in your mind, people think that shot comes streaming out of the barrel of a gun. And it doesn't. Uh, in fact, the opposite happens. If you, if you think about it, the it's accelerating from zero to about 900 miles an hour, I think it is, uh, in the first 20 inches of the barrel. And so it's the absolute opposite of, of streaming out of the barrel. In fact, it's, if you think about if you were in a car that went from zero to 900 miles an hour, you'd be pushed way back into the seat. And that's what's happening to the shot as it, as it goes down the barrel. It is, uh, they call it setback forces. And in, with, with lead shot, it was a problem because that, that setback would, you know, the pellets pushing against each other is what deformed pellets in the gun with steel, which is so hard that doesn't happen. But that's how it starts. You know, it starts with this tremendous acceleration and the shot being pushed back. That's why when you, when you find a wad out in the, in the field, out in the water, it's got pellet dents in it because they've been pushed back. You know, that, that acceleration is pushing them back into the plastic and it's, uh, it's making those dents that you find. So it's coming out of the muzzle as a slug and it runs into. I mean, it literally, it's, it's all contained in the shot cup. It's, it's literally, and if you've ever shot a pattern at like five yards, which I did once after I missed a turkey at that distance, <laughs> I got by the cardboard box around my car and shot it. And, you know, it's a hole, the diameter of 12 gauge. 
so it's, it's coming out as a solid chunk of steel in the shock cup and it's got a release. And, and what happens then is, is it hits the air resistance. There's a, there's that wall of air it hits as it exits the muzzle. And, you know, that's where those pedals on the shock cup peel back. Uh, when they encounter the air, they, you know, so if you shot a shotgun in space where there was no resistance, it would just stay in the shock cup and go forever. If that air resistance is, is necessary to, to peel those pellets back, or if you look at a, a wad like the flight control that Federal uses or Winchester's diamond cut wad, those actually contain the shot for a short distance out of the muzzle, a few feet. And then they've got little fins on the back that uh, pop open and, and act, you know, there's enough drag there that those pull away, they slow down and the, uh, and the shot keeps going. And then once that shot is released from the wad, that's when the air resistance starts to act on it. Although the pellets are all free now, they're still, uh, the ones behind are actually drafting like a, like a truck or like a bicycle racer behind the or a racing car behind the ones in front. So they're getting mm-hmm. the rod. Those are the ones that wind up in the middle of the pattern. And the ones on the outside that are, that are actually doing the work of pushing through the air, those start to peel off and those spread out to the outside of the pattern. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. the next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. It opens up. I hear people talking about, you know, wad stripping chokes. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of explain that in the process? I mean, you just explained that process perfectly. Um, but, you know, what is the benefits or, you know, I guess the benefits of having a wad stripping choke? The benefit of wad stripping choke is that that separation needs to be clean between the wad and the shot. If it's not, if the the wad is coming out and yawing, it can, you know, it'll disrupt your pattern. It can run into the back of it. There's, there's various things it can do to, uh, 
to mess up the disrupt the flight of the pellets as, as they start out the muzzle. So that wad stripping choke is slowing the wad enough to begin that separation before the shot is all the way out of the barrel. And the you know, people who make those chokes are, are very clever at it and have figured out ways to actually change pattern spread through how and, and where they, they put those little studs that, uh, in fact, I was just reading about that this morning. I was, I was working on something else. And, uh, in the early days of steel, the story goes, people discovered they could put set screws in their barrels to get that. Uh, and this is one of those, don't try this at home. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the original ones are kind of homemade, uh, wad strippers. But every choke does, you know, the, the more, Constriction you have every choke is is acting on the wad to some extent, but these the these chokes like the Pattern Master and the Wad Wizard are have those studs that actually do stop the slow the wad down and uh, and release the shot that way. Yeah, and and you kind of provide an example here as far as you know the velocity and and how that you know changes as the distance gets greater. Um, you know, you you mentioned. Steel number twos, mm-hmm. uh, using one at 1,500 feet per second load versus a 1,275 feet per second load. Um, and how, you know, that, that initial difference, obviously, is 225 feet per second. Um, but at distance, that difference becomes smaller and smaller. Can you kind of explain that? The faster you drive an object into resistance, the faster it slows down. Think about Taking your hands, putting your hand in the water and slapping the water. The same, you know, the same medium, same hand, but one, your hand goes right in because it's not, the water's not pushing back. And when you slap it, it hurts because you're, you're encountering that much more resistance. And, uh, so the, yeah, so the faster you drive a pellet, the faster it slows down. Now that does not mean I had a reader write to me once. He's very confused. He said, so at what point does the slower pellet pass the faster pellet? <laughs> <laughs> like the tortoise and the hare, but it, it never does. Yeah. You know, it, it, it will not. The faster pellet always gets there first. It's just that that gap narrows it and that the slower it's going, obviously, the less energy it, it has. So a slower pellet is in some ways more efficient or more efficient, but it's retaining energy. The gap in energy also it narrows as they forget the first part. But yeah, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that the uh, the difference in energy becomes less and less too at longer range. So while any extra energy is good, the real difference with, with high velocity and, and slower loads is what you see at that medium distances. Um, I notice that too, especially when I go to the gun club and I watch people shoot trap with a, like a handicap load, which has got some extra velocity and they're shooting birds at of those, a lot of those shooters are, are shooting their targets at 30, 35 yards and the difference in how hard those loads are hitting a clay target as opposed to a standard trap load is, is pretty dramatic. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where the velocity really gives you an edge. If you're not, not killing your birds over decoys, you know, more velocity will hit harder. Uh, it will also tend to open patterns more. You know, if yeah. all other things being equal, the harder that, again, and it's that air resistance acting on the pellets. It's, as they push into it, they start to say, they start to peel away. There's a terrific video I found a few years ago of a, a canister round from an M, M1 Abrams. The Army did a high-speed video. You can see this, 
And that's a, I don't know, a couple hundred tungsten balls. But it's basically it's a giant shotgun. Mm-hmm. You watch this thing, you'll see it. And they, did, and they track it all the way through its flight. It's really, really impressive video. But you see that. You see the whole wad come, the whole mass come out. And then you see the pellets in front will start to meet the resistance and they peel off. And the ones behind are the ones that are retaining more velocity. That's another thing. You know, we talk about shot strings and it took me a long time. This is like not that, not that big a revelation, but it, I didn't think about it for years. You know, the re- difference between shot string, the pellets in the front, the pellets in the back. Pellets in the back are going slower. So the longer your shot string is also the slower your pellets are at the back end of it. And therefore the less energy they will retain when they get to the target. And you did some of that, didn't you? You did some uh, like slow speed, or I guess I should say high yeah, speed I don't know you call it camera. High speed, but it's actually yeah, so super slow motion. I, I've been up to the federal plant a few times with their engineers, and we set up <clears throat> high speed video, and we've looked at shot strings and patterns, and uh, see a lot of interesting things. Um, yeah. And as far as we can tell, the shots, you know, steel shot stringing is not. Uh, really that big a problem. It's the shot strings tend to be about eight feet long. Um, and if you're worried about your shot strings, you a bigger shot because those shot strings tend to be a little bit shorter. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Your, you know, the solution here is to go instead of shooting a two, you know, bump up to a BB. Yeah, I'm, I'm a uh, shot person. Um, I just, to me, it seems like a more efficient way to increase energy because you're not increasing, you're not increasing velocity, you're not increasing recoil, you're not opening your pattern up. In fact, you're probably tightening it a little bit as you go to the bigger shot because it, it retains its velocity better. It gets through the air better. Uh, so yeah, I, and you know, to get back to that uh, goose hunt, I, the last couple couple hunts of the season, I've been fooling around with bismuth all fall and been doing pretty well, but uh, I shot steel BBs on those last two hunts and I had forgotten just how well those big pellets and people, I don't know if people still complain about steel or if that's died out, but boy, there's no reason to, um, everything hit the ground and all six birds across those two days hit the ground dead. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I kind of, my personal belief is that the big shot is the way to increase energy. Yeah. And you shoot a little bit slower load too, don't you? Or do you go high velocity, big shot? You know, I've shot everything. Uh, I remember, a few years ago, I went uh, went on an industry hunt to Saskatchewan, and uh, they in Rio Ammunition was was one of the sponsors, and all they had were ounce and three eighths, thirteen hundred foot per second loads. And and while I don't really believe in velocity, I've heard so much about it. I remember looking at those things. Well, how are we going to kill anything with these? And we killed everything. You know, we yeah ducks, geese, cranes. Um, yeah, you know, I've, I've shot the really fast stuff too, the hypersonics and those, and those those work too. But uh, I think the improvements in steel shot, although we credit the velocity, there's so many other things that have gone on over the years in terms of better powders and watts and primers. That uh, I don't think velocity is the whole whole story in why you know how steel has improved over the years. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, just like you mentioned, when uh, Brister's book came out, 
that was the early days of steel. So even a lot of that stuff has probably changed everything. And a lot of that is just because technology, you know, advancements in technology have changed everything from the wads to the manufacturing of that shot. Um, you know, you heard a lot of complaints early on in that early, those early steel days. Um, but, you know, things have changed dramatically. And uh, I think, that, I think one thing that has also changed um, is people's confidence in steel. And like you said, and I think that uh, that's something to kind of mention, you know, everyone has their low, like, you know, uh, you like to shoot steel BBs and, and while, yeah, I mean, that higher velocity, definitely downrange increases um, the impact. Um, you're also confident with it. Kind of discuss that, you know, we've talked about this mind game several times, but you know, for me, I'm, I'm a big fan of like, once sure you know it's a it's a little more versatile i for me i mean it's really not if you think about it it's really not that much more versatile than a bb um but i really like shooting those three inch ones but it's a it's a it's it's a mind game for me i reach down and grab one and i'm like oh man here oh yeah one okay this has nothing to do with physics at all uh no no not at all <laughs> this is purely confidence and and confidence makes good shooters it's uh if you believe and also you know it helps to have tested the load obviously and, and have the confidence in it and know what it does. But, uh, absolutely. You know, confidence in your ammunition is, uh, one less thing you're thinking about when you should be focusing on the target. And, uh, yeah. and that's absolutely true. Uh, confidence makes good shooters. You know, one thing that you mentioned in this column, um, that never even really dawned on me, um, is elevation. Um, you know, when you have basically, or I should say even cold air versus warm air, um, but elevation definitely plays a factor in all of this, um, kind of explain how, how that can play a role with a, a duck hunter, you know, let's say a guy's hunting in Colorado and then he decides he's going to fly into Louisiana. Uh, how does that change, you know, what, what he's accustomed to shooting? Well, there will be more air resistance, uh, in Louisiana, because you're at sea level in some cases, I guess you're below sea level in some of those places. Yeah. But uh, and you know, air density does. That's what uh, we talked about already. That that the pellets are encountering air resistance, and the denser the air, the more resistance. Now, it's, this is counterintuitive. Um, dry air is actually denser than humid air. Um, so there's and this is also one of these things that run these rabbit holes you can go down where yeah. you think about it too much and it winds up paralyzing you. But I was a few years ago, I was at the, um, the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, which is up, you know, know 6,000 feet. And I met Lloyd Woodhouse to coach the U.S. team. And he, he was talking to one of the shooters. He said, if you go to a, a trap shoot in Florida, he said, you know, if you shoot, if you're shooting a full choke up here in, in Colorado Springs, you go to shoot in Florida, you want to put in a modified. Uh, did I say that? No, other way around. Should be modified here. You put a full in Florida because the, the patterns will be done. Patterns will be tighter in the thinner air and they will be more open in the, the heavier air down at sea level. You know, it's kind of a big deal these days, people traveling to hunt. And I know, I, I know no one who even thinks about that. <laughs> you know, it's like and that would be know. a good thing. Yeah, I was going to say, like you mentioned, you can go down this rabbit hole. Next thing you know, you're, you know, shifting shells and 
um, you know, changing chokes and, you know, starting to really think about it. And that, and that, that can definitely, you know, and, well. and that's uh, one of the stories I always, I always remember, um, Mike Jordan, who worked for Winchester ammunition for years was, a uh, he competed on the live pitching circuit where there's a lot of money riding on every shot. And, uh, you have to buy your shells at the clubs usually when you go to these shoots and, he said he would always practice. He would take seven and a half and eights and mix them up in his pouch. So he didn't know what he was shooting. Mm. He said, because I don't want to get to a shot, you know, say, what if I get to a shoot and they don't have my favorite shot size? So he just didn't want to be bothered by it. Yeah, that's a good, good idea. So yes, you can, you can way overthink this stuff. Uh, and, and although choke matters, choke matters at the margins. What really matters, you know, most birds are missed by feet, not inches. Yeah. If you're filling your mind with, uh, with doubts like that. On the other hand, you know, if it makes you confident it, to, to change your choke when you go to Louisiana or up to Colorado, then great. That's good. Uh, but I think for a lot of us, it's best to just like find a load and a choke we like and stick with it. Yeah. No, that's, that is the key right there. Um, you know, the last thing on here, you know, before I let you go is, you know, kinetic energy. Um, obviously back to the, to the physics side of things, um, you know, kind of explain how important this kinetic energy is considering everything that we've discussed. Right. Well, yeah, that's, that's the whole, that's the whole purpose of the, of the pellets is to, is to hit birds and impart energy to them. Um, I tend to believe that it's not so much the, the total amount of energy they're hit with as, as where they're hit and how deeply the pellets are able to penetrate the vital areas and break bones and, and that type of thing. And, you, and you'll find um, those are minimum kinetic energies for different species listed in, in different places. And those are pretty good guidelines to go by, but uh, mm-hmm. you need to, you know, people uh, sometimes talk about pattern failing before penetration or penetration failing for a pattern. You need both. You need a pellet that's going to hit hard enough to get through feathers and bone and vitals and everything else and, uh, and, and kill the bird cleanly. And you need enough of them so that you've got enough chances to make vital hits. So it's, it's kind of a balance between the density and the energy. Yeah. And I think one thing that you point out, in here in the article is that, you know, if two pellets, you know, have equal kinetic energy, you know, uh, a smaller pellet will actually penetrate more deeply. Um, and that's, you know, that's all just a matter of, you know, then you can get into some, some pretty, we can go down a pretty serious rabbit hole talking, you know, shot sizes and, um, you know, and especially when you start mixing it up. So let's say we go into bismuth or, uh, tungsten. You know that now we're now we're talking about some some much different um, equations, I guess I should say, as far as far as um, you know the actual penetration. Um, and and that's one thing that you know maybe we ha- do another podcast and we can talk more deeply about that because you see these guys shooting these tungsten nines, mm-hmm. and I know you've kind of dabbled with some of that as far as like a turkey load. Um, well, a couple of things. First of all, you know, we talk about different pellet sizes. There are still people who believe that smaller shot, you know, it's the difference between being jabbed with a pencil and jabbed with a needle. And that is not the case if it's unless you're changing the density. That, mm-hmm. you know, the, the bigger shot is going to hit harder and penetrate deeper if we're talking steel and steel, and, you know, apples to apples like that. But yeah, once you look at increasing the density of the pellet, then 
yeah, smaller shot is going to, I guess, I guess it's more efficient, but it's got a smaller, smaller cross section that will penetrate more deeply. I was, uh, say I've not done a lot of hunting with TSS. I shot a few pheasants with it and I was amazed at, you can't even see the holes if you shoot a bird. Mm -hmm. I certainly, if I was going to have a bird mounted, I might want to spend extra money on nine shot and TSS nines, uh, because the holes are, they're not even there. Uh, they went all the way through the bird at fairly close range. And, uh, I thought I hit it really hard and, and I had, but you couldn't tell when I yeah. threw others off of it. But uh, yes, once, once you, the, uh, one of the advantages of the, the denser shots and, and density is very important. And that's, you know, steel is always, will never be anything was about 7.8 grams per cubic centimeter. And that's, that's, it's the burden that it bears. And that's why people want to pay more for bismuth shot, which is sort of halfway between steel and lead in density and, or tungsten, which is in some cases denser than lead. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, when I look at shot, when I think about shot size, I think of, of bismuth as being like, like to my mind, a bismuth, Three equals a steel two equals a lead four. Um, and there's people that argue with me about that, but that's, that's kind of what I've seen and how I think of it. And that, that seems to work for me. No, that's a, that's a good breakdown right there. And, um, you know, what do you tell to people who just like randomly, you know, would ask you or send you an email like, Hey, you know, what, what's, what's the duck load that I should shoot? You know, in a lot of times there's so many different variables here that I'm sure that's a difficult question to answer. But, you know, I've even had people ask me like, hey, what, what, what should I shoot, you know, as far as a duck load? And for me, for all around duck hunting, and I say where I duck hunt, it's not infrequent that I'll have geese, two, uh, steel twos, ounce and a quarter steel twos at about 1450 feet per second. I shoot those. um well, I, this year I've been shooting Kent Fast Steel, which is a little bit faster uh, when I was goose hunting in, in previous year's duck seasons, or that the Winchester. It's funny, they used to call it high velocity when it first came out because it was 1,450 feet per second. It was incredibly fast back then. Now it's just like regular speed. I've shot a lot of those. <laughs> and it's just regular dry locks. Um, that works for me. But again, I am never taking long shots. Uh Plus, I absolutely have to unless it's to stop a cripple or something like that. But, uh, you know, I, and I've shot a lot of, uh, I like the heavy metal, which is one of those loads that doesn't look very good on the pattern board, but really seems to work in the field. Um, so that's then three, you know, twos or threes in steel for an all around load, I'd say. And, and, uh, mid velocity, I guess. I'm not, I say I'm not, not a velocity. And then you have to then again, Make sure it patterns because one of the, as we were discussing, one of the complications when you start to increase velocity for that extra energy is that it may not be an easy load to pattern well. Yeah. When you're done, maybe opening up, or maybe opening up is what you want. You know, it's a lot of people are, I think, over choked for, you know, if you do waterfowling right, you're shooting birds at 25 yards. <clears throat> uh, I think, or at least that's, that's about all the shots I won't take anymore. It's, it's not that I, I, I just rather not. It's, it's, to me, it's more fun. And that, that's kind of why I go. And I, I know I'll still shoot some birds. I'll probably have to let some go, but I won't lose any. And, uh, and I get the fun of watching them come in close. So, so 
for that purpose, you know, the, the steel loads, the steel twos that I shoot are great. Wow. That's perfect. And I think, uh, you know, I think we probably took a little more time on this than what I originally planned, but I, you know, I think having, you know, people get a little bit better understanding of, of all of these, everything from velocity to penetration. Um, and I, and you know, even how the shot cups and wads actually work, uh, when they pull the trigger, that's something that, you know, we've stressed on here, waterfowlers need to probably pay a little more attention to, you know, how all this works to have a better understanding. And it'll make them a better shooter, which is basically what you do for DU Magazine is explaining some of these different factors um, to help people improve what they're doing, you know, in the field or even at a, you know, at, at the range. Um but Phil, man, this has been great. This is a, a great in-depth conversation. I'm sure we can spin off of this in some way, shape, or form and probably get, you know, 10 more different podcasts getting very specific. <laughs> and uh, it definitely, definitely, like you mentioned, you can definitely go down the rabbit hole the more you start thinking about it. Yes, you can. But uh, that's, that's my job is I do all, I worry about all this stuff. So readers don't have to. You want to go out there with a, a clear, confident mind. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And I just want to remind all of our listeners that, uh, you know, if you have any questions for Phil um, or any questions about, you know, what we discussed today, you can always email the show uh, dupodcast at ducks.org. Um, that's our email address and, and we can forward some of that stuff over to Phil and have him, you know, maybe answer a question or two. If, if somebody has a, a really, really interesting question, maybe we can approach it even with an, a follow up podcast. So I just want to remind our listeners of that. But Phil, this has been great. I appreciate you joining me and we'll definitely uh, have you back on as soon as possible. I'll look forward to that. Thank you. I'd like to thank my guest, Phil Berzaley, Ducks Unlimited Magazine shotgunning columnist, for joining us today and, and bringing real physics uh, to the discussion. I'd like to thank our producer, Clay Baird, for getting the show out to you guys and doing a great job. Um, and I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU Podcast and supporting wetlands conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. The next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. 
visit campuswaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation, united by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation, take it outside.